10-5 touchdown, Arkansas State. Culver is safe. The Red Wolves have walked it off. Amir, coast to coast, lays it home with the right hand, and he's fouled. Welcome to the Second to None podcast, the A-State podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And we welcome you in once again to another edition of the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. A big week in A-State sports. Big week of coaching news last week. And really, we kicked it off with the podcast that aired last Tuesday featured the new A-State women's basketball coach, Destiny Rogers. They took the interim tag off Coach Rogers, and she was officially named as the head coach of the women's program last Monday. Right after her press conference, she came in here and recorded the podcast interview, which got a lot of attention and a lot of great feedback. And it was a great way to kind of start off a big week. But the reaction was really neat. And there was one post on social media in particular And there were a lot of them about this interview, but one that really got our attention, I guess, Friday, Mm -hmm. this was posted. Yeah, because uh, what happened, as I've done a couple of times, not every time, a few times, you know, taking all or parts of these second to none podcast interviews and later in the week after folks have had a few days to, uh, you got to understand, not everyone's a podcast consumer. So we'll take, when some of these interviews are so daggum good, I'll you know, take them and play them on the drive on my show some so the radio crowd can yeah. hear it too. And and that's what I did on Friday with, with the Coach Rogers interview. And yeah, I got a tweet uh, from Ryan West who tweeted at me and said that uh, his son had listened to Coach Des earlier in the week and said, quote, after hearing her, I think I want to be a coach. And Destiny Rogers actually saw this, and I think she quote tweeted it and, and wants to meet this kid now. She did with a quote tweet and, and say that very thing. Would love to meet him. So, man, that's really neat. It is. That's cool. Uh, that's uh, that's that's tough to beat there. But we had sort of last week here on the podcast. You know, we we, we said you know Coach Rogers was on, but at the end said I don't think this is the end of the coaching <laughs> news for the week. Well, it really started off in the beginning of the week. It started off great with Coach Rogers, but the very next day, Tuesday, it was announced that Mike Bellato, as expected, signed his two-year extension with the A-State men's basketball team. And we say as expected because Tom Bowen sat here on this very podcast several weeks ago and really led you to believe that that was going to happen. Yeah. He told you. We seem to have forgotten that in some in some spots but yeah he he sort of sat here and called the shot a little bit that that that's where that thing was headed and you know that also in conjunction goes with some you know news we'll hear more about later in this podcast in terms of folks coming back to the men's basketball program not just coach Bellato. so big news there with a, a two-year extension and then you go right into uh let's see monday was the Coach Rogers. Coach Rogers presser. I guess Tuesday was the day the, the volleyball announcement came out because the press conference was on that's Wednesday. That's right. That's right. They they officially announced 
through social media that Brian Gerwig would be the ninth head coach in A-State volleyball history. And he is a familiar name to this program. He was actually an assistant for Coach David Rear while he was here from 2017 to 2018 and then went with Coach Rear to Houston where they've completely turned around that program. But Coach Gerwig was officially announced on Tuesday, they had the press conference on Wednesday, and a lot of folks excited to see him back. Yeah, it, it'll be fun. Coach Rear and I, I have kept in contact with Coach Rear since those guys went to Houston. Big fan of David Rear's, and so we'll chat every once in a while. And then we have talked honestly, you know, off and on during this process, both because you know he's still interested in the Arkansas State volleyball program, and he knew you know Brian was was wanting the job. Brian wanted the job. When Coach Rear went to Houston, when that didn't really get traction that time, Coach Rear held his spot. He was like, you know, I'm saving a seat for you, sort of hoping you don't need it. But it turns out he did, and he went down there. They've done great things, and and now three years down the line, he gets a chance to run the program, and yeah, it'll be exciting. And you know, a lot of folks around here were pumped to see you know how that process played out. Another thing Tom Bowen told us on here, I mean, he was pretty transparent where they were on that. And he told me after the press conference, started with 65 qualified candidates that they paired to 30-something, that they paired to this and this, and they got down to six Zoom candidates. Six candidates got the first round of Zoom meetings with the committee. Four of the six were female. Three of those four had been Division One head coaches. The fourth, a legendary high school coach. Yes. Um uh, of the two male candidates, you know, Brian was one, and it went from six to two. Two candidates came on campus, but Tom Bowen told me that you know throughout that process, it just Brian Gerwig was just sort of always the the leader, just from the get go. He had unanimous support across that committee of you know administrators and athletes that took part in those interviews. Well, that tells you a lot. The fact that it was unanimous support for Coach Gerwig, and again, he was. The last big announcement of the week as far as all the coaching stuff at Arkansas State, but it was a a big week. It was a good week in terms of those coaching announcements. A-State baseball was also in action this past week. They played at home against Memphis back on Tuesday. They fell to the Tigers 9-7. to By the way, Memphis having a heck of a year, and we've seen a lot of good teams in the midweek. SEMO, Southern Illinois, Memphis, all having great seasons. And then a team that's just having a phenomenal season to this point was in here over the weekend, 15th-ranked Texas State, who is now 18-3 and on the year. They're ranked in all six polls. And again, they were as high as 15 last week. We'll see how high they get this week. But they win all three games, and the Red Wolves had good opportunities to win all three. And going back to Friday night, it was a rare occasion where I didn't call the A-State baseball game, and I was thankful that you filled in for me. But I, I'm getting this update in the first inning. You know, the Red Wolves are up six to nothing after one. And mm-hmm. it seemed like everything was going right. You get a quality start from Justin Medlin. He goes six innings, gives up just two runs, but Texas State scored six times in the seventh, four times in the eighth, and they win 13 to seven. I'm going to do this in reverse and give out information. You know, we're not two yet. Honestly, I have to tip my hat that Arkansas State could get off the mat 
and play two games with the scores they were the last two games is pretty impressive because just calling Friday night, I didn't want to get up off the mat. <laughs> because, I mean, we had sat around, we sat around in our office on Friday talking about this baseball team and saying, you know, they were really, really confident in their pitching the seventh, eighth, and ninth. If they could just get it to those guys with the lead, they think they can really shorten a game. And then, lo and behold, six run first, it gets to six three, you get an unearned run in the fifth at seven three. Medlin goes one, two, three in the sixth and gets the situation we'd all been waiting to see. Hand it to the bullpen in the seventh with the lead. They had a script in place. It was going perfectly with the script right up until it wasn't. Yeah. And, uh, and it snowballed. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's just no way to sugarcoat it. I mean, the wheels fell off. And it's with guys that you have faith in. And if they got in that spot again, you'd see they're gonna put them in that spot again. But it did not go well Friday. Ten runs over the span of two innings. Free bases left and right. Errors in there. And all of a sudden, you went from up six to losing by six. And you're like, I don't know how you recover. Now, they did. They didn't. They, and it's a shame they don't have a win to show for it in that series because this is a prime example of how fine the line is between winning and losing. You mentioned how they bounced back Saturday and Sunday. They got off the mat, and they had a great opportunity on Saturday. I love the adjustments that the coaching staff made. Tommy Raffo and, and Alan Dunn, they decided to flip around some different roles. You saw Medlin on Friday night, Will Nash back in the Saturday starting role in which he was really good last year. He hadn't been great out of the bullpen to this point this year, but he looked comfortable in that starting role on Saturday. He goes five innings. He gives up just two earned runs. Walker Williams pitches a scoreless six. Tyler Jeans pitched as good as he has all year. Three scoreless innings, seven, eight, and nine. And you just can't get the offense, and you fall short two to one. You had the tying run at third, in the eighth inning and just couldn't get him home. Mm. And then on Sunday, Carter Holt was scheduled to start back in that Sunday role in which he was so good a season ago. And 30 minutes before first pitch, he has a little bit of a finger issue. He can't go. Jacob Frederick, a left-hander who's a junior transfer from Sierra College. He's from Sacramento, California. He comes in and on 30 minutes notice, he gets ready to go and who knows how much we're going to get out of him. Is it going to be an inning or two? You go to the rest of the staff. Well, he turns in a quality start. He goes six innings. He gives up just an earned run. He leaves the game with the lead. It's four to two, and it stays four to two. Going into the eighth inning, they're able to tie it with a two-run home run, and then they take advantage of an error on a pickoff play, and they're able to score in the ninth inning. Still, the Red Wolves had a runner in scoring position with nobody out in the bottom of the ninth. Couldn't get them yeah. home to tie the game. So yeah. there were opportunities yeah, over crazy. the weekend. I mean, you outscored the Arkansas State outscored Texas State twelve to ten over twenty five of the twenty seven innings. Maybe take out the two disastrous innings on Friday night, and you got no wins to show for it. Texas State. I think got 14 and a third shutout innings from its bullpen over the weekend. Mm. Yeah, that that is a really good pen. And, and they probably got the best closer in the conference in Tristan Stivers, even though he probably needs to work on his postgame etiquette a little bit. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, um, I saw it coming, too. And <laughs> you know, it's interesting. And 
you know, Tristan Stivers is the closer for Texas State. He ended up getting the win going the final two innings on Sunday after he got a two-inning save on Saturday. But he waved after he caught the pop-up to end the game, waved at the A-State dugout at the end of the game on Sunday, and he turned and then went to go shake hands with his teammates. But that wave, it rubbed some people the wrong way, including Alan Dunn, the A-State pitching coach. He said something to Stephen Trout, the Texas State head coach, about it after the game. And it got a little heated for a minute. I mean, Alan Dunn, you know, he's been around this at the top level, literally the major league level, but even the top levels of the college game. He knows what the top guys look like. He knows what the top guys act like. And when he didn't see that, it it didn't go very well. But he also gave you a glimpse of how fiery that dude is. And it added a little something, and who knows? They they may see each other again here in a to, couple of to months. Me, I mean, but in Montgomery. Like, I don't know. It, to me, I mean, you got, you're a nationally ranked team, right? Truth is, based on that, you're just doing what you're supposed to do. So just kind of act yeah. like you've done it before. Yeah. That's it. Simple as that. So A-State will try to get back on track this week. We'll talk about what they have in the week ahead coming up here in just a little bit. But when we come back, we're going to be joined in studio by the Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year and Sunbelt Defensive Player of the Year. Norshad O'Meara is coming up next. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. And we welcome you back in to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Matt and Brad with you, and we are thrilled to be joined in studio now by... Our buddy, the Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year and the Sunbelt Conference Defensive Player of the Year, which I'm pretty sure he's more excited about the latter, that Defensive Player of the Year part. It's Norshad O'Meara. How you doing, Norshad? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Yeah, I like that. I like the sound of Defensive Player of the Year. I love, I love it. That's, that's just you, though, because... Coach Bellato talked about the reaction once you were named player of the year and you were, I guess, excited about it. You were glad to hear that you were named player of the year. But the story is that when you were told you were defensive player of the year, you stood up and started celebrating, right? I mean, yeah, I really like that. Like The reaction was totally different. When he said player of the year, I was kind of expecting it. But not really. But like I really wanted defensive player of the year. So when he said that I like everybody was like, dang, like did he win like I don't know. <laughs> did we go into the to the dance or something? Like What like, why does that mean so much more to you though? The because, like, defensive part. Like my pride on the court come on defense, like who I was saying to Mr. Bobo yesterday that if you play good defense, the offense is going to come. So like, if you play good D, the offense is going to come at some point. So like, I think defense is the key to winning games. No, I love this guy. Only person on the planet that calls me Mr. Bobo. That's why, that's why he's so high on my list. Here, so I, I got one for you. As far as you know, do you have a nickname? I do. 
What, which one do you go with? Well, in the U.S., they call me Chad. Okay. Uh, yeah, but home, they call me, uh, I don't know if I should say this. Like, home nicknames is like to make someone mad. Like, you call out someone on their worst defect. Okay. So, like, that's what they do home. So, they call me Bigfoot. You know, <laughs> because like I'm the I'm my the, the biggest one between my friends. I got the biggest foot, so like that's what they call me, Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Yeah, and that's pointing out your worst deficiency. Yeah, I, I would say so. Wow. Well, you got a pretty good gig going, but I mean, like, so here, you know, it's different. People's your know, nicknames, you know, that's that's what people label. So there there are a couple out there with you that are floating around. We'll see if any of them. If you'd sign off on any of them, I've seen uh, the Beast of Bluefield. Uh, I've seen the, the Nicaraguan Nightmare. Some have just said it was the Beast of Loma Fresca, though, right? Yeah, that, that's my neighborhood home. Okay, I like that one. Now Loma Fresca is a neighborhood in Bluefield. Yes, sir. Okay, but the people don't know that. Now we're, they're going to find it out now. Yeah, that, that's where that nickname come from, like. I, re- I really grew up in the neighborhood of beholding. Like, you guys probably not even had any idea what I'm talking about. Like, that's, a ne- that's another neighborhood. I grew up in my grandma house. Like, when I was small, like, that's beholding neighborhood. So, like, when people talk about Loma Fresca, like, people home be like, oh, he ain't from there. He's from beholding. Because, like, I grew up, like, from zero years to, like, 15 years in the neighborhood of beholding. And then my parents get a house in Loma Fresca, and I moved there. That's when I, like, start playing more basketball. So, like, everybody say, like, oh, he learned to play basketball in Loma Fresca. So, like, there are classes during, like, when they talk about basketball and about me home, they be like, oh, no, he learned to play basketball in Beholding. And then next people say he learned to play basketball in Loma Fresca. So, that's why, like, I think someone from Loma Fresca put that nickname on me, the Beast of Loma Fresca. (laughs) (laughs) So, now there's a turf war happening. Yes, sir. Yeah, Everybody's claiming them claim. now. Something like that. So, and this is what we want people to know about you. I mean, they, they've watched you play over the, these last couple of years, but at the same time, your story is extremely unique. So, you mentioned Bluefields. Tell us about Bluefields. What, what's it like there? I mean, you know, what was it like growing up in Nicaragua? So, Bluefield is totally different from Nicaragua. Like, Bluefields is set on the coast of Nicaragua and the Caribbean coast. So, like, our culture is totally different. We we assimilate, like, culture of Jamaican people. Like, we listen to their music. We eat their food. Like, we also have our own type of food, too. But, like, we it's similar to this. So, like, all you're going to see, the most what you're going to see in people is black people. So, like, when I come out here in the U.S. and, like, someone that don't know me from Nicaragua, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, he's from Bluefields because I'm a black person. Because, like, everybody that is black is normally from Bluefields or another place called Puerto Cabeza. It's, like, the Caribbean coast of, of Nicaragua. All the black person, them normally are from the Caribbean coast of Nicaragua. So, like, Nicaragua is just, I mean, it's home, so... Like, I don't think there's anything bad I'm going to say about it because it's my home. So you grow up in Nicaragua. And, and by the way, you mentioned Jamaican food. That's your favorite food, right? Yeah. 
I love it. I grew up eating that. I grew up eating fish. And you try to find it anywhere you can. Where can you find Jamaican food? I remember when we went to South Alabama. We did. Mark and I, Mark Taylor and I, we we went to go catch a movie somewhere, and you texted him. You wanted to go get Jamaican food somewhere. Yeah, I did, because I know that I look, anytime I go to any part of the U.S., the first thing I look um, Caribbean food near me, Jamaican food near me. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I was trying to get it. Yeah, I didn't. But then I remember when we went to UT Arlington. That's when I get some Jamaican food. Out. Anywhere I go, I try to get it. I love it. It's funny, like, over the course of the time getting to know you, sort of the, the role food plays in this because when you talk about it you smile and I don't think it's just because you like to eat because I remember a time I had you on my radio I show I do like to eat though and I ask you, so uh, you know, the, the, the conversation gets the food so I said so what food are you into now and you know what you said oh thinking of food makes me sad yeah, because I ain't have, I ain't have the, my favorite food here, you know? <laughs> it's just the same thing over and over. So it's, you like to eat, but I, I think it's because it makes you think of home too, right? Yeah. Make me remember home a lot. Like, I mean, food is a culture home also. Like, we take that very personal. Everybody try to cook good. Like, home people are so friendly. Like, you, you can go, like, to your friend's house. They always take you in. They feed you. They make you feel welcome anywhere you go. So, like, food is like a culture. It's like, it just make me feel at home. All right. So, you mentioned your grandmother. You mentioned your parents. What do your parents do? So, my dad, he didn't finish college because, like, growing up, he had seven sisters. He was the oldest brother. His mom, like, broke her legs. So, she grew up in a wheelchair, my grandma. So, like... He had to be the man of the house. His dad left, so he had to be the man of the house. He had a stepdad, but he still had to step up because, I mean, that's his sisters and that's his mom. So he leave. He went to work on the sea. He, like, built houses and, like, remodel houses. Also. Okay. Yeah. My mom is a nurse. She went to college. She, I think up to the day after day, she's still studying. Like, she has got so much, like, masters and, like, she's, like, they're totally opposite. She studied a lot. He didn't go, but he didn't go because, not because he didn't want to, it's because he couldn't. My grandma is a, was a high school teacher. So, yeah, I have two siblings, my brother and my sister. I'm the youngest. You're the youngest. Yeah, okay. my sister, she's a doctor, and my brother is a, I don't know how to, actually, I remember, but I don't know how to say it in English. In Spanish, it's Administración Adanuera y Comercio Exterior. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know you guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I know you, you get it, Mr. Yeah, I know what he does. I'm not going to tell them, though. They can go figure it out themselves. Yeah. Were your, your siblings athletic, too? I mean, do you come from an athletic family? I, I think my dad is pretty athletic, but for the same reason. He used to like sneak out and go play sports sometimes. And he told me he was good, you know. And people tell me also he were good. But like, we would have never found out because he also had the responsibility of taking care of his family. So he couldn't, he didn't have the same opportunity of other kids. He had that on his shoulder that he had to go bring food to the table. He had to bring clothes for his sister, shoes for his sister. So like, he spent his, the most of his childhood doing that. Yeah. My brother, Sorry, Besayel, but you don't play anything, and I gotta say he don't he don't he don't do anything. You talked about your mom, and you and you said you know she's still learning. She's a studier, a reader, and and so I get the sense that you talked about before. 
she doesn't care if you score 30 points to get 20 rebounds. No, she, she wants never, you handling your business. She never talked about basketball to me. She always asked me, how are you doing? How the grades? Like, you better have good grades. Because I remember when I was growing up, my parents would never let me play sports if I didn't have good grades. And that's why, like, I grew up, nobody knows this, but I was always good academically. I would always be, how you call it, an honor roll in my my entire life. And preschool till 12th grade, I was always an honor roll. Till when I went to the high school in Miami, I was also an honor roll. Like, so that's something that my parents took very serious and, like, Growing up, they put that thing on the table. They're like, if you don't have good grades, you can't play. And thanks God, I never had problems with that because I always had good grades. You obviously come from a very smart family. When did you start speaking English for uh, the first time? Oh, I didn't tell you about that. Oh, remember I tell you how we come from the Jamaican culture? They speak English. They speak they type of English. It's the same in Bluefields. We speak People call it, call it Creole because we have a little different slang. We use a little different words, but it's English. So I, I grew up speaking English and Spanish my entire life. Mm. And in terms of sports, there's a whole big old long list of them that basketball wasn't on. No. Tell us all everything you grew up playing. So I remember since I have memory of picking up a ball or like I remember being on this baseball court with my dad at 5 a.m. every morning. Yes, he working me out. He's like, I want you, to, because that's his favorite sport, I want you to be the best baseball player that come out of Bluefields. That's why he used to tell me always. Cause he, he loved baseball. Well, so was much. that your first love too? Did you yeah, love baseball? definitely. That's the only sport I know since since I have memories. Like, that's always going to be in my heart. I'm always going to love baseball. So I play baseball. I play soccer. I play volleyball, I play handball, I play ping pong. Are you naming everything but basketball? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Track. Then, then I, I remember Mr. Bobo know this story too, I think, and I don't know if you know it too, Mr. Matt, that I was playing baseball on this court one day. Like I was playing baseball in our neighborhood. It was mm-hmm. not even on a real baseball field. We, The kids' home just... We put rocks or slides or stuff to create an imaginary baseball field, but we play real baseball there. So like we were playing, and I see a taxi pull up and just park there, and like this dude was watching us play. I was like, everybody was like, "What's that?" But we didn't, we didn't mind. We just keep playing. Uh-huh. And then like when the game was over, this guy just came out and was like, "You're pretty tall." Like, I'm, a, I'm the coach of the Basketball Academy in Bluefield. Would you like to play with us? We're going to a tournament. I was like, 100%, <laughs> yes. Just let me go ask my dad and my mom. I went, he went to talk to them, and I, I started practicing for basketball. I went to the tournament. They I, just wanted you to rebound, yeah, right? All I did was rebound and give the ball to someone now to play. <laughs> I, I couldn't make a layup. I couldn't make a shot, nothing. And how old were you at this point? I think 13 years old. 13. Yes, That was the first time you had ever picked up a basketball. Yeah. Actual play. I would go on the court, shoot one, and then leave because I didn't know how to play. So, And I see everybody like doing nice moves, and I'm like, I don't know how to play. That. I don't want to get embarrassed. I'm just going to leave. So like, actually, that's when I actually practice it and learn a little bit, and then I start playing it. It's unbelievable because you said literally, I mean, you've told that this – Rebound it, throw it to somebody that knows the rules. So when did it get past that? When did it either become, 
hey, I'm pretty good at this, or I like this? Which one came first? I remember after that tournament, I was like, I want to do what all those guys are doing. So like, I came back home. The basketball academy would always practice. I, I didn't miss a practice after that. I went every single day, not weekends, but every single day. And I just, I see I start getting a little better, a little better. Then there was a summer tournament there that everybody play. And like, there was MVP leading, like they give a trophy to the MVP to who scored the most, to the best three point shooter, to the best free throw shooter. When that day come, I see guys getting it. I was like, wow. I, I need to do that. I want. I, I need to get that <laughs> next year. Then the whole year I practiced. We went to the tournament again. We win. We win sub champions, second place. I came back. I practiced. Then that tournament, that summer, I was like, I did already improve a lot. I win. Um, leading scorer, leading free throws. Like the MVP of the tournament. I get three trophies. And this is in your first year of playing basketball. No, second. Second year. Yes, sir. I was like, yeah, I can do it. And then, like, I remember one time my high school track coach came to me. He went to watch one of the games because that was not no high school league. That was like like AAU, how they call it here. Mm -hmm. So he went and he was like... Boy, you you better start running truck. This is what you gotta do. <laughs> yeah, like he's like, yeah, this this is what you build for. So I was like, like, I remember that always. Nobody know that, and like I think that's that's one point that made me think different. And I was like, I really like this sport. I practice it every day. I didn't, I practice baseball also, but like I didn't, I didn't focus so much on baseball because I was like, I already know how to play that, like basketball, and I just fall in love with it. What about the rebounding part? Because this goes beyond something you learn. The way you do it is everybody can't do that. I mean, so in your own words, trying to describe it, how can you rebound the way you rebound? I don't know. I don't have any idea. Because home, nobody care about rebounds. Everybody care about scoring, making three points, doing nice moves. Then when I came out here, I not even know I could have rebounded. Because I just do that. The one, the I, want, I wanted to get the ball and go score. I wanted to get the ball and go score. So that's why I think I rebound home. So like when I came out here, I was like, oh, so this is something important too? I'm going to keep doing it. So I just. Is like, it as simple to you as just wanting it more than the other guy? Yes, sir. I want the ball. If I want it, I'm going to try to go get it every single time. But there's an instinctual part. Too. Your your instinct is to know where the ball is going to be, put yourself in the best position. But it really doesn't seem that way as much with you. Obviously, that's a factor, but it doesn't matter where the rebound goes. You're going to still try to hustle it down. Yes, sir. I think that's just. But for all the time I spend in the gym, so like so much shooting, so much layups, like he already sticking my brain that. If the ball hit there, it's going to go that part. Like If the ball bounces on the front of the rim, it's going to go to the top of the key. If the ball bounces inside of the rim on this side, it's going to go like, yeah. like, that's just an instant now. I know if the ball bounces there, it's going to go this part. So I think that's about it. So do you, you know who Dennis Rodman is? Yes, sir. You know, that was his deal. But he learned that by, he would just, 
go to practice and and let's say if it's Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen, just watch them shoot, just rebound and watch them shoot, so you can learn where their shots were going. I remember reading about this about Dennis Rodman that Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen would stay after practice and shoot. And one time, one guy came up to him and asked him, "So why you don't why you don't put in extra work and you go work out?" you learn to shoot and he was like no I already have someone that can do that I'm gonna sit down here and perfection what I what I do the best that is rebound so I I'm gonna watch them shoot know where it go when they miss and that's what I'm gonna do from now on you do that and you there are certain guys you've done the team you play do you watch yeah them sometimes shoot? after practice I would be tired or but I would I would still do a little extra work and then but like when they, I would rebound for them. I would ask them. I would tell the GA, like, go sit down. I got it. And I would rebound for them. And I would, like, that's the way I see where the ball going to go when they shoot it. And I study a little bit about it also. So you're a teenager. You're just learning the game of basketball. And, and you're liking it a lot. You said you're falling in love with basketball at that point. Eventually, you get the opportunity to come to the United States and play at Miami Prep. So... How did that opportunity come about, and what did your parents think about you making that move from Nicaragua to the U.S.? So that's a long story, and we have time right now, so I can make it short. Yeah, we got time. We got yeah. time. So I remember I had, like, growing up playing all the sports, like how I said before, baseball and basketball. That was the biggest sports that I focus on the most baseball and basketball I had opportunities to go like to go in an academy in Dominican Republic to practice baseball and try to sign with the MLB but my dad always used to say that you are too young yet I don't want to let you go so early I was like when those opportunities come I was like 13 14 15 years old and he didn't he didn't want to do that he said I want to I want to make you finish high school first and then is that opportunity still there I'm gonna let you go so then when it's time to finish high school, I didn't like baseball like that anymore. So I was like, Dad, I don't want to do that anymore. And he, he was not going to force me to do that mm-hmm. because he's like, I want to do some. I want you to do something you love so you can do it. And I'm better. sure he saw how much you enjoyed basketball. Exactly. So I remember I graduated high school. Time coming, like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Like, I really want to go play. I want to leave the country and go play basketball. So, like, I went to this tournament in Mexico. Like, they just invite players from Bluefields. Like, a friend that the coach have in Mexico, they was having a tournament. So, they was like, oh, let's invite these players from Bluefields that have this team. So, we went, we played, everything was good. I came back, someone called the coach. Oh, that dude was good. I have a spot here on a team. Like it would be really good if he come and play here for us. And my dad was like, "Oh, that sounds good. Can they get you education also? Like I want you to study college." So they was like, "Okay, yes, we can get him in the Tecnológico de Monterrey, and he can study there and also play with us." So my dad was like, "Okay, I like that because you're gonna study. I just don't want you to go play and like." Suppose you get hurt, what you got to, you know, take care of you for the rest of your life. So he was like, okay, that's good. So like one week before, I didn't sign anything to play with them. I didn't. I was telling yes. When I go there, we're gonna talk about it better. I'm gonna take my parents with me. You can meet them. We can talk about it, and then I'm gonna take mm-hmm. the the real decision. But so far, I like it. 
So one week before that gonna happen, Mr. Wesley called my dad because he tell him, oh, I'm, I'm gonna get something for your kid if he don't like that. So Mr. Wesley called my dad and I was like, oh, look, this dude named Piling Alvarez is having a camp in Miami. He gonna open a prep school, like, it's nothing. We just could go. I'ma take care of it. Like I have some donors that gonna pay for all the expenses. So don't worry about that. We just gonna go see if if nothing happened, you got the the offer in Mexico, you take that and it's fine. So bam. We go to the camp. I kill it. I win the MVP, like, <laughs> this dude is like, you ain't going to know Mexico, you, you come in here. And my dad wanted me to come to the US better because he's like, Mexico is a little dangerous, all this stuff with it, because he just, he just see all the, the perspective. He's like, oh, they have a lot of drugs dealing there, they have a lot of human trafficking. He just see the worst because he want to take care of me. So he's like, yeah, I, like, I would like you to go to the US better. So I come. Piling said, no, you ain't going You ain't going to know Mexico. He's like, just throw away that ticket. You ain't going nowhere. I came, I went back home with the papers, get my visa to come study in Miami Prep. I came back, and the rest is history. I went, we, we went to a season 46 and 5. I get the scholarship, and I think you guys know the rest of them. Dude. Well, yeah, but I mean, you're, you're a teenage kid. I mean, how old are you, 15, 16? 17. You're 17, you went to Miami Prep. Yes, sir. So was that still scary, though? I mean, you had no family in the United States. Oh, we're going to go into other details. Yes, sir. So I came here. My uncle lived in Miami, my mom brother. He stayed here, but still, you know, I came here. We didn't talk every day. Like, I don't have that great relation with him, you know, but like his family also came here. I, I get homesick. I was uh, every day I would call my mom. I miss you guys so much. I really want to do this, and it's gonna be hard. I want to go home. I want to. I want to spend some time with you guys. And my dad would always say, like, if you want something great, you gotta sacrifice. You know, nothing good come easy. Easy come, easy go. Hard come, it stay for a long time. So like, I remember he used to tell me that every day. And that those words just motivate me to keep pushing and being better and better. So I came, I meet my uncle. We start hanging out every weekend because on weekends the coach will let we go and spend time with our family. We stay at one house, everybody, all the players stay at one house. So I'll go, I meet my uncle, bam, I have family here. So that helped me a lot. Like the relation I built with my own crew, we hanging out a lot. He was actually at the conference th- tournament with yes, you, sir. wasn't he? Yes, sir. We hanging out a lot, spending time. He just changed the changed the picture for me. He made me feel more like home. Having having someone speak your language, you know, you could talk about similar stuff. He miss home also. So like it's just you know, that helped me a lot, put him in the picture. Also at that time, one one of my aunts, my my dad's sisters, they came also and stay in Miami. So I would go hang out with her also. And like in Miami, have a lot of Nicaraguan people. So like when I find that out, it just make it so much easier. Spending time with them, going to baseball games because 
Nicaraguan people in Miami, they have a league that they play baseball and softball. So I will just go, go watch games, just have fun, f- make it feel like home. So like that just help a lot, putting that in the picture. In the course of all this, I mean, you're playing at Miami Prep, you're putting up video game numbers. Your coach there knows Coach Bellato, says, you need to come see this guy. So he does it against IMG because everybody knows about IMG. So you'll take us through that day, the first time you meet Coach Bellato. Like when I play, I tune everybody out. It's just me, the players, and the coaches. I don't. I, that's all I try to focus on. So, bam, this game start. We play. We lost that game, but I went off. I had forty-one, and I think twenty rebounds. So, like after the game, the coach Pelling was like, "Come over here. Someone want to meet you." So, Coach Bellario started talking to me in Spanish. He was like, "Oh, that was great. I need to like." He tell me, "Yeah, I want you to come to A State. I'm gonna offer you right now." So we start talking in Spanish. Then he was like, forget about that. So where are you from? Tell me about you. And we just start talking. I was like, yeah, I like that guy. I like that. So <laughs> well, we gone. Time to make time to make the, the decision where to go. I have I had our first fam, UMBC, Iona. But like, I really didn't think nobody was that interested in me. Like they didn't show, they didn't call me every day. They was not on top of me. Like how Coach Ballado was. So I was like, he's Cuban. He speaks Spanish. Coach Pelin trusts him. My my parents talk with him, they like him. You know, Mr. Wesley talk with him, they like him. I was like, yep, that's the place I'm gonna go. I came. And how I say earlier, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's a really unique relationship with you and Coach Pilato, though, because you can tell that, I mean, you guys are like family right now. And I can tell and what I could kind of pick up throughout the course of this past season was just how loyal you are, not only to Coach Pilato, but to your teammates. And you always refer to them as your brothers. Yes, and you talk about your family back home, but you have a family now here in Jonesboro at Arkansas Def- State. Definitely. You know, this program has been a brotherhood that, you know, not, I don't think if I would went somewhere else, I would have this relationship with my with my brothers. Because like when I was in Nicaragua, I had two siblings. Now I have, I don't know, 17. <laughs> it's just great. We're not naming names, but I just want some sort of point of context as to how often somebody's trying to get your ear about going somewhere else every day <laughs> every day every day yeah that's it i do the same thing that how i do on the court though. i tune them out and we talk about the loyalty and last week here in the last week you put out a message on social media and I'll kind of read what you said. Can't wait for next season to go at it with my guys. The work has already started. Let's go get this championship wolves up. So why was that important for you to just come out and say instead of just coming back next year? Was it important to send that message to those other people that are trying to get in touch with you? Yes, sir. I'm just letting – I wanted to let the Red Wolf fans know that I'm going to stay loyal 
that, you know, I'm a redwood for life. Now, you and I talked on my show about this same message. You set me pretty straight pretty quick in that the message is I'm not transferring. Yep. That message wasn't intended necessarily to pertain to looking at or exploring what comes next in terms of trying to play in the NBA. Yes, sir. That, that doesn't mean I'm not going to try to. I'm not going to test the waters. That just mean that I'm not transferring 100%. One thing that I know Coach Bellato has done with you, and he does it with his other players too, is he wants to help you get to that next level, and he wants you to be at the highest level possible when that happens. And, you know, you took a, a huge step forward this past year being named Sunbelt Player of the Year. But at the same time, I remember having you out at at the last coaches show of the season. And, you know, he brought up the fact that next year you're going to be shooting threes. I mean, that that's another aspect. I might, I might be shooting them in the NBA. That's another aspect of your game that you're still trying to develop. And obviously, if you did come back to Arkansas State, you, you can help kind of develop that part of your game here. Yes, sir. hundred percent. I don't know what God had planned for me in the future. There's a lot of room for improvement. I learn anything else. That's what I always say. I, I want to learn every day when I get on the court. I try to learn something new. So that I really want to, you know, step my game up to the other step that I can, you know, step out and shoot threes also. Because from your first year to this year, we talked, the first thing you said you wanted to do after your first freshman year was expand your range. You did that. Now, even you test the NBA waters, we know the way that game is played right now. Every dude on the floor is expected to be able to hit a three on occasion. So that is the natural progression. Whether you know, if, if you get back to Arkansas State, that's what you need to do next to then turn around and go play in the NBA. Yes, sir. Everybody in the NBA is shooting threes. Like, look at this dude. What was with Dallas? That is Washington now. What's his name? Porzingis. Porzingis. This dude is seven foot shooting threes. So like, Carl Anthony Towns shoots the, threes. He won the three point contest in the NBA. Like, it's just having that in your bag just open up everything so much more. So, I'm going to do that next year. I'm not going to say I'm going to try. I'm going to do it. Like uh, working hard and like practicing, everything is possible. Well, it, it's amazing. And you were top five in the nation in field goal percentage for most of this season. And you watch your game and look, I mean, it's it's not all around the basket. There were a lot of games where most of your shot attempts were, were mid-range jumpers. And go back to that win over Texas Arlington on the road. And, and you were right there in the middle of the zone the whole game and hitting shots from around the foul line. So I could tell that was a big part of your game that you worked on last year. So how much already are you working from stepping back and trying to, to hit the three? Oh, oh, I say on the publication, the words already started. So like I already started working on the three points. I already started on putting the ball on the floor a little bit more. The work has already started. Because as you said, the la- you and I talked on the air, and I asked you if basketball came easy. And you had a great answer to it because you said, I mean, even if it looks that way because you haven't been playing very long, people don't see the nuances. That, as you gave an example, there may be one move that you did thousands of times in the offseason to try to get to the point where that one move looks easy. 
to talk about the, the process of putting that work in. Yeah, that's like what me and Coach Cruz talk about that people don't understand how much hours you spend in the court, like working on this move or this hook shot or this pull up jumper or this layup, this inside hand layup. Like people don't understand how much reps you do, a thousand reps a day, uh, a week you do 2,500. Like it's just so much time you spend like trying to perfection that move or that shot or like that people don't see that's I think that's what make people think that basketball has come easy but it doesn't you work hard and that's why that happened well I'll back that up and it's not just coach Pilato that says this but but you mentioned coach Cruz Brent Cruz your assistant coach and one thing he's told me is that you call him every single day you want to get in and work on something and just trying to develop your game. So you've got to have a great work ethic to be able to do what you're doing. Where does that work ethic come from? I don't know. I just, like, I think what I talked about earlier, that when you see someone do something in the summer summer league that they was having in Bluefields when I was young, I see these guys win these trophies, and I wanted that. That's just... Like, no, I see these guys do this crossover, do this push shot. I want to do that, too. I'm like, coach, can you show me to do that? Can you can you get me doing this? Can we work on this? Like, I just want to, like, get better every day. I see something new. I want to try to do it. I want to get better. So I think that's where it come from. What was it like to get to go home and, and not just get to go home, but while you're there, then put on the jersey of the Nicaraguan national team and and play for your country's team nothing feel better than that you know growing up in Nicaragua like being this kid dreaming dreaming big always like thinking about it like putting on the blue and white it just feels so good you know representing your country like everybody know you now everybody like think good about you like it's a also a great responsibility the kids look up to you they'll be like oh I want to do that I want to be like such a player I want to be like Nurtured I want to be like Bartel I want to be like this guy so like you gotta show it like put up a good example so the kids do the right stuff you gotta study good you gotta you know respect older people you gotta do good stuff and like that really didn't came that hard for me because like my parents from small, they show me to do that. So it's just those little stuff that you got to do good so kids go in the right direction also. Well, and look, there, there's not a lot of people at, at your age that have the kind of expectations that you do because you have come to the United States. You're the first Division One student athlete ever from Nicaragua to come to the, the United States. You, you play for the national team. At the same time, you're named preseason Sunbelt Player of the Year. And you talked about those expectations and how you try to weigh those throughout the course of the year. I mean, how have you kind of learned to deal with those expectations? And was it kind of a process throughout the course of the season to deal with those better? Because I know you're hearing about it from people back home. You know they're paying attention to, to what you're doing every night. Yeah, definitely. Like people about home and people here, like expect a lot from me. So day in and day out, you just be thinking about that. So like 
one day I just had to tune it out. I had to be like, yeah, I'm gonna give everything out. You know, I'm gonna do everything what is possible to win for for winning the game because that's what I try to do every day. Like when I go on the court, I'm gonna try to do everything possible to win the game. So like, you know, I, I was like, yep, yeah, I ain't focusing no more and trying to be a player of the year and doing that. I'm just gonna go give everything on the court. And if it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm just going to give everything to my teammates, to my coaches. And, like, it happens. So it's, it's nice also. It's a good reward. As you've uh, talked about your upbringing, talked about your parents, talked about the importance, especially with your mom, where academics ranks, just so people know, you're not just stopping off at Arkansas State because it's the next step to try to play in the NBA. Like, right, you're handling your business in the classroom, and it's not just any old degree. Tell Tell the folks what you're studying and why. I'm studying business administration and a minor in marketing. I just want to know how to handle the money. I'm I'm planning to have money in the future, so I want to know how to handle it. And also, I want to help people back home. I don't know if you guys know about this, but I want to do a, a basketball academy back home to help kids because I grew up about like you just home. They just don't have the the right stuff, like what they have out here, like balls, shooting guns, like nice shoes. Like I didn't grow up with none of those stuff. Like I grew up sometimes playing in bands. Sometimes, like I didn't have a jersey to play. I would grab just white t-shirt, cut the sleeves off, grab a marker, write my number on it, and just all the kids home do that. So like I just want to help kids home to like have the same opportunities like kids in the U.S. in Europe. So that we can show the talent we have home also. Do you see yourself back in Nicaragua after your basketball career? Yes, sir. Running the basketball academy? Probably. I, I just want to help because I know we have talent home and I want to give the kids the same opportunity I had when I came out here, but that they can do it from home also. All right, so... You just said something that triggered a question for me. You talk about being a kid, cutting the sleeves off a white T-shirt and writing the number down. What number did you write? I, I grew up using number five. Okay. Yeah. Then, like, all the kids like, was like, oh, I want number five. I want number five. I was like, okay, have it. I was the kind of kid that said, no matter what number I have on, they're going to be like, oh, if he's not, if I'm number 15, they're going to be like, oh, number 15 could play. Oh, if I'm number five, oh, number five could play. So like I was like, you could have it. Then I choose to have number 15 because my sister had a short basketball career in college. She played with her college. So then she quit because like the medicine career was just so much studying and stuff, so she quit, and she used number 15. So then I was like, okay, you can have that. I'm going to take number 15 through my sister because she used that, and I look up a lot to her. So like, that's why I choose number 15. Love it. How much did... The conference, and obviously there were some big moments in the conference tournament. You beat ULM and had a career-high 35 points in that game, 13 rebounds, and then had the back-and-forth game, which you, you dropped to Georgia State. Georgia State ends up going on to win the conference tournament. I know it's only been a couple of weeks, but have you gotten over that loss yet, and how do you kind of use that as, as fuel going into the offseason? I'm saying to myself that ain't, that ain't going to happen anymore. One thing that I do, when someone tells me I can't do something, I don't make negative thoughts go in my mind. I'm not going to say to myself I can't do it. I'm going to say, like, I'm going to go work and show them that I can. 
So that's the same thing like that, that. Like, I can't make that happen again. All my teammates think the same thing too. So like, we ain't going to make that happen again. Georgia State, Coastal Carolina, whoever it is, we just got to go handle business. You seemingly kind of wow and amaze us daily with something. But for you, has there been either a game or a play or a something that even when you look back on it, you go, oh, that, that was pretty good? I don't know. <laughs> I, I leave it in the past. I just try to get better. I'd be like, in the moment, like after the game, they would post it and I would be all like, that's cool. But like, I don't. I don't live in the past. I, I'm like, damn, that was good, but I, I still can do better. Do you, do you think back on some of those block shots? Maybe the one you had at Texas Tech? I see arms inbound with 4.04 to go. Lob it in, left way to McCuller. Hits the cutter. Warren and Norshad O'Meara got an amazing block. He blocked the dunk. Yeah, that one was pretty cool. <laughs> Like you see, I don't remember you had a, those t- you had a two-handed block at UTA that was pretty great. Yeah, I don't remember those stuff. Like if you remind me about it, I'm gonna be like, oh yeah, that was cool. And, like, and look, I call every play. I don't remember a whole lot of them, but I remember plays like that because they stand out. We don't see plays like that very often. The inbound play with five on the shot clock. Ooh, I want. Yeah, I want to know about that because this is a play against Texas State and. We end up winning that game at home, but what's the scenario? Up four or five at this point, late in the game, and Coach Bellato, with five on the shot clock, yells out at you in Spanish and changes the inbounds play, which obviously you're the only one on the court that understands what he's saying. Do you remember that moment? Yeah, he's like, don't give the ball to Keith or who, I don't remember <laughs> Keys, who yeah. Is. Yeah. yeah, he's like, he yells to me, don't give the ball to Keith. Fake hand off and go do what you do. So I was like, and you drove in and scored it. Yes, sir. Keys lobs it in the Norshan. O'Meara driving to the block, lays it up, shot won't go, gets his own board and throws it down. Norshan with the offensive board and stuff. They stand up six. Here's the deal. Sure, he did go in and score it from a corner inbounds play which is tough to do at five on the shot clock. That's all well and good, we for, but we're, we're sort of burying the lead. Don't do all that. He scored on a follow dunk off his, off own, his miss. own miss. You're supposed to follow dunk somebody else's miss. How you do that? I don't know. I just wanted it. I know we needed it, and I wanted it the last but It just happened. I remember after that play happened, there was a timeout. Coach Ian walked up to me. He's like, did you know what you just did? And I was like, what? I scored a bucket. He's like, I'd never yet see anybody done that. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So he doesn't even realize that no. he's doing it. But, uh, Norshad, it's great to kind of hear more of your story. And I think our fans will enjoy hearing this. But I love the fact that you, you just seem so committed to being here at Arkansas State and, and to your brothers on the team. I know you're looking forward to next year, whatever that may bring. But... Thanks for coming in today and uh, hanging out with us, man. This has been fun. No problem. Yeah. Anytime. Wait, no. Let me, let me let me close it right here for me, Leslie. Because being in the podcast format, right, anybody anywhere can hear this. And not that they can always hear and watch the games, too. But right now on the podcast, anybody, anybody back home on their phone or whatever can be listening to this podcast. So, I mean, if you want to say something to back home, here's your chance. Because they can listen to it pretty easy when this comes out. 
Sí, mu muchas gracias por todo el apoyo que siempre me dan. La gente en Bluefield, en Managua, en, en cualquier rincón de, de Nicaragua. Muchas gracias, lo aprecio mucho. Love you, mami. That's North Shadow Mayor, the Sun Belt Player of the Year, and more importantly, the Sun Belt Defensive Player of the Year. Joining us here in studio, this is the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. So get more control, more convenience, and more peace of mind with your Simmons Bank debit and credit cards. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. And what a visit with North Shadow Amir. What an amazing young man. And look, I, I want to say something because I see the freak out coming in the coming weeks. <laughs> and Norshad made reference to yep. it. Do not be surprised if and when it happens, coming up very soon, when Norshad declares for the draft. Also, be confident in the fact that Norshad will be back at Arkansas State next year. The draft process is is part of the maturation mm -hmm. process as far as becoming an NBA player. And Norshad will be an NBA player at some point. But the way this is set up now, he can go through the draft process, he can get a draft grade, he can come out of the draft and come back to Arkansas State, which is a very, yeah. very high possibility going into next year. Again, it's sort of like we were talking about earlier with Tom Bowen. If you're listening, they'll tell you that's what's coming. I mean, like he even the day before he came in here with us for the podcast, he was on my show with me and he stopped me real quick about his social media post and said, That social media post means I'm not transferred. Didn't say I'm not trying the NBA. Mm -hmm. Sat here with us today. Says, doesn't mean I'm not trying the NBA. Now, at the same time, he'll tell you that and full-on talking about his plans for next season playing for Arkansas State. So he's going on a fact-finding mission if that's what happens. And, hey, he could get in that process and find a team that falls in love with him. If he does, he does. But you're, I think you're right to say something. You know, don't go crazy or think that he's not stuck up to what he said he was going to do with his social media post when he sticks his toe in the water. Looking at the week ahead, A-State baseball on the road this week. They'll play at Southern Illinois Wednesday at 2. It was a game that was scheduled for Tuesday night, but due to the forecast in Carbondale, going to play Wednesday afternoon. It's the forecast everywhere. Every team in the country, I think, that I've seen had a Tuesday midweek game is having to move it. Lafayette and Nichols had to move to Wednesday, and that's not very close to Carbondale, Illinois. A lot of rain happening across the south on Tuesday. And then uh, A-State on the road this weekend. They take on a very, very good Georgia Southern team. A-State may be starting with the two best teams in the Sun Belt right now mm -hmm. with Texas State and Georgia Southern, both top 20 nationally in RPI rankings. But uh, they'll be at Georgia Southern Friday at 530, Saturday at 1, and then Sunday at noon. Pretty much wraps it up for us. Anything you need well, to get I, off your chest? Yeah, to? because it's timely, and, and we this may have even come up on here once before, but it's topical, it's seasonal, it's here. So I just want to say, 
uh, to all the young fellas out there or fathers of young fellas or whatever the case may be of high school guys, prom's coming up. And if you got a gal you'd like to ask to prom, just sometime when it, just ask her. Mm-hmm. Cut the crap. I don't want to have to watch these stupid promposal videos. <laughs> That's so dumb. Just ask the girl to prom. Yeah. And get on with your life. And if, and don't listen to your mom. Don't listen to her mom. Nobody needs that crap. Ask the girl. It's not even about prom anymore. It's about the promposal. Oh, yes. Promposals. That's what I mean. That's one thing I'm glad we never had to deal with. We, yeah, we try to. We just try to force these kids into life experiences. Now, you know, in a promposal, and by the time a kid actually graduates, they've actually had seven graduations because they had their preschool graduation, their kindergarten graduation, their third grade graduation. So, I mean, kids been in eight caps and gowns before we were ever in one. Let the kids be kids. Ask the girl to prom when it's just you and her. Take her out to eat. Ask her in the daggum hallway at school. I don't care, but just cut the crap. Special thanks to Norshad O'Meara for joining us on this edition. We will be right back here with a brand new episode next Tuesday on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.